10, verse 29. Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Rechuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Listen to this reading, it's awesome. We are journeying. This is Moses speaking to a man named Hobab. We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, Hobab said unto Moses, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he, Moses, said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. I want to preach to you for a couple hours this morning. If you'll come on Wednesday night, I wouldn't have to do this. Well, I was going to say, anyway. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning. Settling for less. Settling for less. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. One of the biggest things that we have to learn about our physical life and our spiritual life is that oftentimes we settle. Settling is accepting whatever life throws at us and coming to the conclusion that there's nothing better. Whatever state I'm in right now, this is as good as it gets. It's believing there's no hope or promise that life has any potential of getting better than it is right now. This mindset or perspective generally follows a pattern of making poor life choices. We do what I say, kind of a term of endearment, but we do bonehead things. We do dumb things. And then we believe that we have to accept those consequences and live them out the rest of our life with no hope of them ever getting better. I love the little prayer. I had it in my Bible, the kind you could write in. Uh, the one I have now you can't write in. It's electronic. But I wrote inside the leaf that God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think we fail in the wisdom part of that prayer in not knowing the difference. There's people here this morning that have settled for a lifestyle. You've settled for a mentality. You've settled for a perspective. You don't set goals anymore. You don't make plans anymore. You don't seek out ways anymore to make your life better, to make your relationship with God better, to make your marriage better, to become a better parent. You just kind of gave up and said, this is as good as it gets. Perhaps nowhere else in the world is the idea propagated that we are entitled 
to having an easy way of things like it is here. We sometimes settle and then begin to blame others for our own lack of success and our lack of opportunities. We blame it on parents. We blame our settling mentality on a bad marriage, on kids that went awry, that went astray. We blame our own lack of success on a lack of opportunity. A counselor pointed out to a man one time that said, you work late every night, you come home tired and burnt out, you eat dinner with your family in a coma, and then sit down and waste hours in front of the television or on the internet. You're too tired and stressed to do anything like take a walk with your spouse or play with your kids. This goes on for months. Your wife asks you to talk to her, and you say, we'll talk later. So three years later, you come home to an empty house and a note that says she's left you and she's taken the kids. The counselor said, you created that. You could have stopped it, but you settled. You settled on a lifestyle. If you're going to make any headway in your natural life, you must prioritize. But if you're going to make any headway with your spiritual life, you're going to have to get some discipline about you and refuse to settle for less. When you don't follow up on taking control of your thought life, the devil will wreak havoc in your mind. When you don't resist the devil... He won't flee from you. When you don't attend worship services on a regular basis because you're too busy, you will find yourself in a spiritual lethargy that will prevail in your life and you ultimately lose interest in any spirituality at all. When you don't spend time in the Word of God, The devil has free access to your emotions and he will overwhelm you with doubt. Does this sound familiar to anybody? The Christian life often demands that we make hard but appropriate choices. Brother David Bernard in his book, Holiness, A Second Look, said, specifically, holiness consists of two components. Number one is separation from sin and worldliness. But number two, it's a dedication to God. It's a dedication to the will of God. Holiness means we cannot love this ungodly, worldly system, identify with it, become attached to the things in it, or participate in its sinful pleasure and activity, and then expect a healthy, vibrant relationship with God. As a church person, as a Christian person, you cannot settle For less, you cannot become satisfied, if you will, by living beneath your privilege as a child of God, as a person of faith. We have to understand today that God offers to us more than you can fathom. I would go as far as to say that God offers so much It would be difficult for one single human 
to absorb every bit of it in one short lifetime. But we settle for less. We convince ourselves that this is as good as it gets. Let me take you back to the scripture setting we read for a moment. When we come to this particular text in the Bible, at this point, listen very carefully so you'll understand it. At this point, the nation of Israel had traveled for three months since their departure from Egypt. And now they had been waiting. They had been stopped in a holding pattern, if you will, for nine months. Another sermon for another time. Nine months passed in this particular place. And now God was ready for them to birth the promise that he had made to them. Another sermon for another time. The place they had been in for nine months was a place of solitude. It was rocky. It was barren. But it was a place that God had chosen to fellowship with them. It was in this desolate, rocky terrain that they were to keep the anniversary of their very first Passover celebration. Another sermon for another time. But sometimes your most exquisite, excellent, glorious moments with God can be in the most unexpected, unanticipated places in your life. Another sermon for another time. But now it's time to move forward. I credit Moses that he refused to stay in that place. Yes, we've been delivered from Egypt. Yes, we've crossed the Red Sea. Yes, we're celebrating our Passover. But even among all the great things that God has just done in our life, He successfully persuaded the children of Israel that as glorious as this moment is, as great as this place is, God still has something better if you refuse to settle. So now it's time to look forward, to discover, to pursue, to capture, to incorporate what God had brought them to this place to do. You people have to understand with me, there's greater things in God than just your deliverance. I can shout and hoop and holler over where God brought me from, but I want to shout louder and hoop longer over where God is taking me. I've heard more testimonies in my life about people being thankful for where God has brought them from than testimonies I've heard people say 
I'm thankful for where God has taken me. I want this church to turn around in your mentality. I thank God he delivered you from drugs. I thank God he delivered you from alcohol. I thank God he delivered you from nicotine. I'm glad he fixed your marriage. I'm glad he did something great with your kids. But I am not going to live the rest of my life becoming satisfied over where he brought me from. I want to continue the journey and go where he wants me to go. So during that nine-month period, there in the rocks, in that desolate part of the planet that they had been staying in, one of Moses' relatives came along. His name was Hobab. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, Hobab. Everybody say, Hobab. The reason I'm asking you to say it is because of an odd-sounding name. Brittany? Wherever she is, you're expecting a child, got a little boy coming, might want to think about it. Hobab, get in here, boy. I'm going to tear you up. Hobab, it's dinner time. Hobab, quit beating your sister. <laughs> is there a pulse in this building this morning? I'm just kind of curious. Give your neighbor a high five and smile. I just want to see if you can move. Good grief. I thought what I said was kind of cute. At least you can. I am going to keep it up because that's just me. But Hobab walks up, and he was a Midianite. He was kind of a Bedouin. We would probably call him a gypsy. Just to, you know what that means. To those of you that likes to read westerns, Hobab was kind of like one of the old scouts of the land. They were Bedouins. They just went from one place to another, had no permanent dwelling place. And he was the one that would go in front and check everything out and make sure it's okay. And he'd get on top of a hill and send up a few smoke signals and they'd come on. The rest of everybody is safe. Come on. He didn't send up smoke signals. That was just to help you understand. Don't walk up to me and say, show me that in the Bible. It was just to illustrate. But Hobab knew every crevice, crack, cranny, and nook in the rocks of that desert that they were living in. Some people debate on who Hobab was. It don't matter to me. But Hobab knew where the springs were. He knew where the places were that offered what little grass was available. He knew shortcuts. He knew good places to camp. He knew where it was the safest rites of where the safest rites of passage were. Moses perhaps had forgotten some of this that he had learned taking care of Jethro's flocks, his father-in-law. So he asked Hobab to go with them and guide them using all of his practical and common sense abilities. Eugene Patterson in the message sums it up like this. Moses told Hobab, we need your eyes. Moses felt like it would be a great advantage to have Hobab with them to accomplish the incredible feat of moving into the wilderness, through the wilderness, and ultimately to the promised land. He told Hobab, he said, we are journeying. God 
delivered us from Egypt. And we're thankful for deliverance. But he has a better place than this for his people. That simple statement seems to address everything that their whole purpose was about. Moses communicated as much as I'm trying to do here this morning and virtually every time I step behind this sacred desk is to convince this church and those that uh, participate in our worship and what have you. We have not come here to stay. We're still journeying. We're still moving forward. We're trying to expand our vision. We're trying to expand our horizon that I believe physically God has even a better place than this prepared for this church. But our ultimate destination, hallelujah to God, is not on this planet, my friend. Our ultimate destination is that glorious place of golden streets and pearly gates. And that's ultimately where we're headed. We're on a journey. That's what our purpose is all about. To us, it's a strange idea. I hear people say often, I'm building this house and this is my last one. I talked to somebody last week in our subdivision. They said, this is our retirement place. Uh, my neighbor two doors down told me several months ago, we saved for years to build this house it's paid for. This is our last house. And it makes it sound final. And it makes it sound permanent. As all of you know, we just built a house that we're so thankful for. But that's not my final destination. That's not my ultimate. There's another place that I'm looking for. So it's a strange concept to us, but it wasn't to them. Because throughout ancient biblical history, there's been a determination to go beyond the place where God was calling men to go. There was always something in the heart of those Bible characters that it didn't matter where God brought me to and how great of a place it was. I always want to move forward to somewhere else. I find it interesting that Moses never said one time to our biblical knowledge and understanding that, my God, I wish I could stay on top of Mount Sinai. I wish I could just live here. I wish I could make this permanent. Simon Peter was simply ignored by Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he said, let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and make this thing look permanent. We're going to build a monument and all of that. Jesus ignored him. He wanted him to understand that this is a great and glorious moment for you. And I understand that. But I've got another place that I want you to go. And it's called an upper room. And don't build a monument there either. Because I want you to leave the upper room and get into your community. Go to your neighbor's house. Go to your friend's house. Go to your family's house. And then when you're done evangelizing the world... I'll take you to a place that I prepared for you. But they were accustomed to that. God had promised a place for the children of Israel where they would no longer struggle with the bondage of Egypt. He moved them far away. Virtually making it almost impossible for them to ever go back. We're journeying. Hebrews 13, 14 says, listen to the scripture. 
For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Micah said in chapter 2 and verse 10, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted, it will destroy you, even with a sore destruction. Keep moving, keep moving. The minute you stop moving, you start dying. The minute you stop living, you start dying. Philippians 3.20, Paul said, For our conversation, our conduct is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of the journey is to get us from this world to the high and holy one that awaits us in that glorious abode of heaven. The journey begins the day you converted. It continues every single day that you live. You advance in the journey to be continual uh, by continual spiritual adjustments and modifications to your conduct, character, and lifestyle. These adjustments can only really be made when you're willing to let the love of God and the knowledge of His Word transform you. The land of Canaan was highly prized by the Israelites because it was at the end of their journey. Heaven is the end of our journey. Just as Israel had to pass through the dangers of the terrible and unforgiving wilderness, there are spiritual dangers that every believer will be exposed to. But let me try to persuade somebody. Heaven is going to be cheap at any price. So Hobab, look at your neighbor and say, hey, Hobab. So Moses gave to Hobab the invitation of a lifetime. Come thou and be with us. Every preacher that stands behind this pulpit, begs and pleads, come with us. We're going to a place of unspeakable joy. There's no more tears, no more dying, no more death, no more pain, no more sickness. Come back with us. The invitation that came from Moses, Brother Donald, it wasn't half-hearted. And it wasn't an uneducated invitation. I believe Moses knew where he was going. I believe Moses knew where he wanted the children of Israel to end up. He wasn't following Brother Garmin on his GPS and hope we make it. And if we make a wrong turn, We'll have to chat with Mr. Garmin. Garmin is a manufacturer of a navigational device that you can put on your dashboard and it'll navigate your way if you put in the destination. Is there a nurse in the building with uh, blood pressure? Something, what do you call them things they put on your arm? It'll quick, 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 quick. You're 24 hours from death. Thank you, doctor. Just what I wanted to hear. You made my day. Can't wait. 
sometimes you just don't know what to do. Anyway, that's my message. Moses, I believe, Brother Merrill. It's not because of the world, but I've been there. I've sit in heavenly places. I know what the presence of God feels like. I know what it feels like to be healed. I know what it feels like to be delivered. I know what it feels like to walk on dry land and through a, a Red Sea. I know what it feels like to be fed manna and quail out of heaven. I know what it feels like to look at a brazen serpent and be healed of a snake bite. I've been with God. I know what Mount Sinai is like. I know what it's like to have my countenance lit up like a Christmas tree. I know what that's like. Come on. Come be with us. Come with me. I want you to come. Please come to this place that God has promised me. Moses didn't approach Hobab with this. Come on, God. The pastor preached on personal evangelism last Sunday. And I've got to invite somebody to church. Okay, I'll do it. Hobab, come be with us, man. It's pretty cool. God bless you. Okay, God, I did it. Y'all bear with me because I feel very pastoral this morning. But you, your folks don't understand the passion and the burning that pumps through my veins every single day. You're not going to win anybody when you really don't believe it yourself. You're not going to win anybody when you doubt half of what the book says. I'm just silly and stupid enough to believe when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself. That's why I preach like I do. I can't help it. I ain't up here preaching because of where I came from. I'm up here preaching because of where I'm going. And I want you to go with me. It wasn't this half-hearted, half-believe, pie-in-the-sky fantasy. No siree. In the heart of Moses, in the mind of Moses, in the spirit of Moses, he had already been there. And I'm not settling for manna in the wilderness. I want the promised land. was there spiritually, mentally, emotionally. He was just waiting for his body to catch up. And that's much about the way I feel about heaven. I had an experience with God a couple of weeks ago about that. I'll share it with you another time. But no one has ever been won to God by half-hearted effort 
based on half-hearted beliefs. Nothing great has ever been accomplished by the half-hearted. It is somebody that is intense and passionate and believes it to their core. I still remember Leroy Kuhn coming to my house 30-something years ago to sell me a vacuum cleaner I didn't want. Excuse me, a homemade one, sister. Rainbow. I didn't want it. I told Sister Murphy, tell him no, she did. She told him no again. And the third time. And after about the eighth time. Okay, let him come. And just get this over with. He wasn't halfway through his presentation. And I'm like, I surrender. Sign me up. I want one. We had to finance the thing for like 20 years to pay for it. We didn't have dimed our name, but I had to have one. He persuaded me. You can't live without this vacuum cleaner. You will starve to death and die. Your children will be born retarded and afflicted and what have you. They will grow up with learning disabilities and allergies. They'll have heart issues. Their lungs won't be developed. They won't be able to breathe. They'll have sugar diabetes and cholesterol. They'll only have four toes and three fingers unless you give me one. Wasn't quite that bad, but you get the point. That man persuaded me, son. And you know why? You know why we don't persuade people? You know why? Because we really don't believe it. You've never been there. And it's hard to sell people on a place that you've never been. But I'll tell you one thing. I've been in the presence of God on enough occasions that if heaven, if it's no better than this, it's cool with me. I'm still going. I'm still going. This invitation of Moses held out a promise, a promise of something good in the future. I think that all of us are aware of the fact that a believer is one who is journeying through the wilderness of this world. Peter wrote in his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation or conduct honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, be, they may by your good works, which they shall behold based on what you believe and how beautifully you live it. They'll glorify God in the day of their visitation. The songwriter years ago, 100 years ago, wrote, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. God, that's what I'm preaching today. If we could just get passionate about our own journey, maybe we could persuade somebody to come on our journey with us. Obab's problem was that he had settled. Yes. He gave far too much thought of what he would lose if he traded the present 
for something better in the future. Moses knew where Israel had been in the past, and he knew where they were going to be in the future. But Obab didn't have any of that look. All he could see was this ragtag bunch of strange people who were on some experiment of sorts that did not deal with what he considered to be true reality. There was a prevailing mentality in Obab's mind of fearfulness. He was afraid that where they were going would have less to offer in their future than what he currently possessed in the present. What does settling for less mentality look like? It's one that has some of the following conditions. I have less spiritual convictions now than I did 10 years ago. You've settled. I can't make it through a trial anymore. You've settled. I don't know if I can deal with the possibilities of the call to sacrifices because you've settled. I can't be sure if I will make it through this fog of doubt that I'm living in. It's because you've settled. I'm not sure if God is really calling me to all this. It's because you've settled. I'm not sure if I live the way if God wants me to live or I can be the way God wants me to be. It's because you've settled. I don't know if I can make it with the emphasis on prayer and revival. It's because you've settled. You've accepted a mentality, a lifestyle, a perspective. I can't do anything. If you people, and some of you do, if you knew Glenn Murphy 35 years ago, you would understand why he hated me back then. And I refused to settle for who I was. So I've made it a daily discipline to change to the best of my ability into what God wants me to be. And you're not looking at a more happy man, a more fulfilled man than I am. If you can ever make the determination to come on with us, Obeb. There will be so much more in your life that will benefit you. Your future with us will be exponentially greater than your present and current life could ever be. Andre Crouch wrote a song back in the 70s. He said, you may ask me why I serve the Lord. Is it just for heaven's gain? Or to walk those mighty streets of gold and to hear the angels sing? Is it just to drink from the fountain that never shall run dry? Or just to live forever and ever in that sweet, sweet by and by? But he goes on to say if heaven was never promised to you, neither God's promise to live eternally, it's been worth just having the Lord in my life. For living in a world of darkness, He came along and brought me to light. If there were never any streets of gold, neither a land where we'll never grow old, it's been worth having the Lord in my life. He's been my closest friend down through the years. And every time I cry, he dries all my tears. It's been worth having the Lord in my life. Come thou and be with us, and we will do the work of the Lord. It's worth trading 
new present life for the future life that God has promised. It's the offer of salvation is to be a new person with a new lease on life. There will never be a time when we're not free from difficulties along the way, when there's battles that will have to be fought, but there is an ultimate triumph to our relationship with God. Not only is there an offer of salvation, but there's also an opportunity to serve. Hobab, we need your offer. You can help us, man. We're not coming asking you to come be with us because just because God can help you. But we're asking you to come be with us because you can help us. You can help us sing. You can help us play. You can help us teach. You can help us move the kingdom forward. Come on, Hobab. We need your eyes. There's a great reward. We'll do you good. This journey will add more to your life and blessing and power than you've ever, ever dreamed imaginable. But Hobab makes the great mistake. He said, I will not go. Thank you, but I'm not interested. You just haven't persuaded me that giving up my current life is worth the trade for some future life that you really can't guarantee because you've never been there either. Hobab listens to all that Moses said, and then he says, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Then he begins to give him six reasons. I want to go back to my own land. I want to go back to my kin folks. I want to go back to my material possessions. He looked on God's people as strangers and kind of weird, and he looked at the opportunity as something that had no opportunity. He was not sure about the uncertainty of the invitation. But what Hobab didn't understand, if you fast forward to Numbers 22 and Numbers 31, Hobab didn't know that his people and his land was going to be destroyed. And what he was declining this invitation for was not going to be even in existence in the next 10, 20 years. So let me ask you, based on the book and the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, what are you going home to? And how long do you think you're going to have it? You can't argue with Bible prophecy now, buddy. We're headed spiraling right into the end time. In my opinion, the trumpet could sound any minute. What are you going home for and why? And how long are you going to have it? Let me share my experience. This came to me about three weeks ago and it rattled me. I like nice things. I like to have nice things. I like to drive a nice car. I like to live in a nice home. And I like to wear nice clothes. Typical American. I worked hard, and God's blessed. But it's, I'm serious, I'm serious, I'm serious. I've always talked about heaven. But there's just been some things that's happened on a global scale in the past few weeks and months 
that's glaring in my face, man. The rapture is imminent. And in my mind, it's like God introduced me to the reality and I felt the sting of it. It's the first time it's ever happened to me. I felt the sting of it. I did. You have to understand me. I felt the sting. It's not words now. I've had a taste of it, and that's why I'm preaching this way. I tasted it. It didn't happen, but I got a taste of it. I felt the feeling of it. And God moved in my spirit, Brother Merrill. He said, okay, if I rapture you out of here today, how do you feel about leaving all of this stuff that you say is yours? Man, it, it startled me for a minute. I'm like, well, <laughs> I like my house. And I'm just going to leave it vacated for what? It's a nice house. And my car, some of you will laugh at me, but and it's a 2008, but it's a vehicle I've always wanted. It's for a long time. Just like that vehicle. God challenged me. Can I give it up? I had an experience different from that, but essentially the same thing earlier this year with my motorcycle. And I'm God, what are you telling me? And I believe, Brother Donald, God's speaking to this old bird. It's not long. Are you really willing to say goodbye? Not only to the things that you possess, but to family and friends that's not going with you. You willing to do that? And I cried. Lord, I believe this. But you got to help my unbelief a little. You want me to say goodbye to my brother? that's not serving God and my other brother that's not serving God and their kids. And I run the risk of never seeing them again. But God spoke to me that no matter what it is in your current life and how much you love it, Hobab, I'll take you to a better place. And let me remind you that where you're living here, it's not going to be here much longer. So it's a real good incentive to help you make up your mind. It's in your best interest to come thou and be with us. For we will do thee good. There's a host of people here today witnesses, if you will, that will testify that what I'm saying is true. They got tired of living a substandard life. They got tired of broken promises and shattered dreams. And they were willing to give the promise of God a shot. No, they weren't sure either that being tired of their empty, pointless, directionless current life, they decided to believe in the Word of God to take it at face value. And now they're glad they're did. they did. Their current life got better. And now they have the promise of heaven. Melanie, aren't you glad you came? How long has it been? Three or four years? Five years? Six? 
since years ago. I remember the first time I walked in that house with a cup of coffee. And I, since then, I've had so many meals at their table. If these people ever invite you over for dinner, if you say no, call me, I'll go. I'll take your place. I remember what it was like the first, second time I was in that house. And I know what it's like now. Come thou and be with us. We'll do thee good. Amy, aren't you glad you stayed? Through some tough times, Pam. And I could go all across this building. Sister Alexander, aren't you glad you came? Aren't you glad you came? Fifty. Four, 55 years ago, however long it's been, if they've been to church in Baker, it's had the Holy Ghost, I think, over 60-something years. Aren't you glad you came? Come thou and be with us. Sharon Haygood sang a song years ago, if you'll stand with me. She sang, I used to think that I could make it without Christ in my life. For many things I tried to do seemed to turn out all right. I had friends, family that meant so much to me. I said, Christ might be good for somebody else, but for me, I just can't see. But then one day I was lonely. Oh, so lonely. And all my friends were gone. And then suddenly I realized that I was all alone. Then I heard a voice speaking. Oh, so tenderly. He said, I'll be to you everything. Everything you'll let me be. And now all I can say is, Oh, I need him. Like I've never needed someone before. Yes, I really need him. So I won't be alone anymore. Do you need him? Come thou and be with us. We'll do thee good. And all that you're holding on to, it ain't going to be here probably 10 years at the most. Is it worth it? Come be with us. We'll do thee good. Heads are bowed. While they're playing softly, I want you to think about the moment, the place that you're standing in. There's somebody here this morning that put up on Facebook... I'm going to be very crude, but I'm going to be relevant. I don't want to offend anybody. But this person, and you're here today, you put on Facebook about a month ago, my life sucks. That's what you said. Excuse my expression. Why don't anybody call me? You said, where are all my friends? But you determined that church wasn't a big deal. Several months ago, and 
I want stuff out there, Moses. I want to go back to all that stuff. I, I want to drink. I want to party. I want to have sex. So you did all of that. So what's the matter? You're not happy? I thought those things made you happy. You said, I'm not going to say what you said again, but essentially you said, my life ain't worth a flip right now. So why don't you do something about it, Hobab? Come thou and be with us. Come on. Come give God a shot. See what he'll do in your life. I Tired of broken dreams and broken promises. A marriage that's not happy anymore. And kids is going berserk. And my parents are berserk. And everything around me is berserk. Come down and be with us. We'll do you good. We'll do you good. And God will bless you in more ways than you can imagine. Casey, if you'll begin to sing as our custom is here. I'd like for everyone to come join us around the front as they begin to sing. Everybody come around the front. Everybody, guest, everybody come on.